If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 559. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders in American History, and... A free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 Myths of American History, and the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. Of course, if you purchase a course there, you keep this podcast free of charge. I've got nearly 20 classes there for purchase. So you've already heard about it. It's a great website. You're going to want those classes. If you like the podcast, you'd like the classes. You can also support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can get a book, one of my book plates there if you want autograph on a book. But you can also purchase my books, not at my website, but wherever books are sold online. My latest books are The Jeffersonian Tradition and Southern Scribblings. Both awesome books. So you're going to want those books too. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, learntruehistory.com. All great ways to support the show. But as always, share the podcast around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. And send me those show requests. I may not always respond to your email, but I do read them. So I appreciate all of the audience input into the show. So keep those requests coming. Now, this is a Think Locally, Act Locally episode. And I've been sitting on this again for a couple of weeks. I took some time off for the move, the studio behind me. It's all new, still working out some kinks, still trying to get some things in order, but it's looking pretty good. But I do want to talk about a piece in the Atlantic, which caught me by surprise. And I think the reason it caught me by surprise is because the Atlantic usually publishes such bad material. I mean, they are the bastion of stupidity so many times that this piece is really good. It's written by a leftist. And perhaps it's really good because they interviewed a a person who is a leftist, but at least he's a reasonable, rational leftist, and that's Richard Kreitner. And the title of this particular piece is Modern America's Most Successful Secessionist Movement. It's by a woman named Antonia Hitchens, and it's pretty good. Uh, And it's about the Oregon movement or the the separatist movement in Oregon to become part of Idaho. Now, I've talked about this before, and uh, there are some legal hurdles to this. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this particular movement, and if you look at the Constitution, it says that in order to create a new state, you have to have approval by Congress to do it, but it doesn't say anything about borders moving borders, that Congress would have to approve the borders. So, In this particular case, you could probably skirt the congressional approval issue by simply uh, getting the state legislatures of Oregon and Idaho to sign off on it. And I know when I talked about this before, one of the leaders of this particular movement or one of the individuals involved in it emailed me and said, well, this is what we're hoping, that we could skip the, the Congress part 
because we're not creating a new state. There's no new state being created. We would just become, these counties would become part of Idaho. So Idaho would get bigger, Oregon would get smaller, but there would be no state of, you know, take your pick, whatever you want to name it. Uh, it, w- it wouldn't be that. It would be simply a move from some people to another state. And there's, as this piece brings up, there are people talking about this in other states. There's been some discussion about three Maryland counties joining West Virginia, for example. Maryland has gone so far left uh, that three Maryland counties want to join West Virginia. What's interesting about that, too, is that you also have the eastern shore of Maryland, which is not necessarily uh, very leftist. I mean, there are some people there, but the eastern shore of Maryland's not as, as leftist as, say, uh, Montgomery County, right, or the areas around Baltimore. So uh, you, you would have these two areas. And why can't we talk about making states smaller or larger or being responsive to the needs of the people in those states? Of course, the panhandle of Florida for years has talked about trying to join Alabama. That was something that was brought up. And uh, that would be an interesting situation to make Alabama a larger state, absorb the panhandle of Florida, and it would become part of, uh, of Alabama. Now, I think at the current moment, you probably wouldn't see a whole lot of that in the panhandle of Florida because Floridians, particularly conservative Floridians, generally like being in Florida because Ron DeSantis, in their mind, is doing a good job. Now, Florida has some advantages. There's no income tax in Florida. That's a good thing. You would lose that if you joined Alabama. So there's lots of things to, to look at there. While Florida is under a relatively conservative government, I think that most people in the panhandle wouldn't entertain moving into Alabama, but uh, you would have more of that if Florida went left, for example, or if you started seeing more of a, of a movement as Florida becoming more purple uh, than, than a red state. So we have, uh, we have these ideas. They're out there. And this is Think Locally, Act Locally in Action. And I'm going to talk about a couple of things as I go through this piece that I found most interesting and expand on them a little bit. So uh, the piece says, In rural Oregon, voters fed up with their state's leftward turn have embraced a simple and outlandish idea. Not so outlandish. What if we were just Idaho? It's not really outlandish. Uh, It's simply a way to solve a political problem. This is what secession at its core is. And And Richard Kreitner hits the nail on the head there. Kreitner's a leftist, without question. But he understands that independence movements, independence movements, plural, or independence movement itself, are ways to have a safety valve for political conflict. If you, if you think about it that way. I mean, this is what aboli- some abolitionists were saying in 1861. Why are we fighting to keep the South in the Union? Isn't this what we wanted? We get a, a United States that could have... Uh, or a free United States, it could have no southern, no no slave states. Of course, there were still slave states in the Union at that point. But uh, could we not have a, a a situation where the slave states are all gone? They have their own republic. We have our own republic. It's a free republic. Doesn't that solve the political problem? These are questions that people should should ask and and then think about. So the piece begins in the summer of 2015. A chimney sweep in Elgin, Oregon, redrew the map of the American West. Imagine for a moment Idaho's western border stretching to the Pacific Ocean, Grant Darrow wrote in a letter to the editor of his local paper. Rural Oregon, he insisted, should break its ties with the urbanites of Portland and liberals of Salem and join Idaho. The political diversity in this state is becoming unpalatable, he argued. 
Rural Oregonians and general and eastern Oregonians in particular are growing increasingly dismayed by the manner in which Oregon's legislature and Oregon's urban dwellers have marginalized their values, demonized their lifestyle, villainized their resource-based livelihoods, and classified them as second-class citizens at best. Now, think about the, the accusations here. And this is now seven years ago, or getting on seven years ago. The accusations here, of course, are that we've got two cultures in Oregon, two political cultures, two economies, two different ways of life. And the best thing to do in that particular situation, when one, the, the language he's using, uh, marginalized, demonized, villainized, and second-class citizens. These are the same type, this is the same type of language used in the 1850s by Southerners, for example, in cl classifying the rhetoric coming out of the North when people like uh, Charles Sumner and others uh, would call Southerners vomit, right? I mean, these were devils. You had Henry, Ward, uh, Henry Beecher standing up and saying Southerners are devils. So if that's the language we're using, if this is the, the rhetoric coming out of the left in Oregon, we know it is. Well, why do you want to be in a union with people like that? In half a decade or so since Darrow's diatribe, a simple and outlandish idea percolating in rural Oregon since the 1960s, what if we were just Idaho, has grown into a grassroots secession movement. So, outlandish. This is the problem. This isn't outlandish. And I love it that Kreitner says, well, wait a second here. He's going to get to, this isn't really outlandish. It's something that we've talked about as Americans for a long time. Last month, Harney County and the high desert of eastern Oregon became the state's eighth to pass a non-binding ballot measure supporting Darrow's proposal. Move Oregon's border signs now dot the region's empty highways, and Mike McCarter, a retired agricultural nurseryman and gun club owner who runs a group publishing, I'm sorry, pushing for the boundary reshuffle, travels the state in a bright red trucker hat bearing the slogan, we don't care to move because we're, we've uh, retired. I'm sorry, let me repeat this. We don't care to move because... We're tied to our land here, he told me recently. So this is something that people have, uh, have raised with me as well when I've said, you know, we'll vote with your feet, move. Well, I can't move. If you're young, if you're listening to this podcast and you're young, get a portable career, be able to move. But if you're not in that situation, and as obviously McCarter isn't, then you've got to try to work within the system that you have. And I think this is a nice solution to this. Let's talk about decentralization, not just for the states, but within the states. The states are too big. The states are too big. So why not allow us just to be governed by another state? He mentioned a supporter so certain that her property would become part of Idaho that she already flies its state flag on her lawn. We're going to be Idaho, she told him. Scenes from Portland where Black Lives Matter protesters have sparred with the Proud Boys in paintball brawls over the past year and worries that liberal lawmakers in Salem will outlaw diesel fuel and artificial insemination of animals have calcified many rural Oregonians' sense of total alienation from the west side of the state. This is not the Oregon I know, uh, Sandy Gilson, one of Move Oregon's Borders County captains, told me. We were farmers and ranchers and loggers. None of those values are left. Today, half of Oregon's population lives in the Portland metropo metropolitan area alone. In eastern Oregon, Gilson pays for two emergency helicopter airlift insurance plans in case she has to go to a hospital hundreds of miles away in Bend or Boise. That huge drift of uh, country is pretty much non-existent in the American imagination. The author William Kittredge wrote about 
this part of his state in Hole in the Sky, his 1992 memoir of his family's life on a ranch. It is hard to exaggerate the vastness of the barren playa, the whole of it, Lake and Harney and Malheur counties in Oregon, each as large as some states in the east, is still populated by no more than a few thousand people. The ge geographic point in the continental United States furthest many interstate lies in Harney County, a contemporary frontier so remote that in 1990, a pair of census takers went missing for four days in the sagebrush trying to find a person. It's easy to scoff at the idea of honoring the, pro the proposed borders of greater Idaho, not least because it's almost inconceivable that both Idaho's and Oregon's legislatures would sign off on the proposal and send it to Congress for the necessary approval. Again, I just mentioned this. Does that have to happen with a border move? Maybe, maybe not. Probably so, but they might try it a different way and see if they can get a court to rule they don't have to do that. Uh, we know that states have moved borders before, and they didn't have to have approval from the Congress. So is this a potential thing? I mean, does, does Idaho and Oregon have to have, do these two states have to have approval from Congress? I, I would think not at this point. Many conversations about the subject focus on freedom and diesel fuel, breezily dismissing questions of staggering importance in the West, water rights, public lands, the rights of indigenous people, as details will be ironed out later. The Greater Idaho Proposal would grant Idaho more than three-quarters of Oregon's land, more than 870,000 of its residents, and access to the ocean. Most, spe most specifics beyond that have yet to be envisioned. Idaho fits with what I feel. Mike uh, Slinknard, a fifth-generation Oregonian who makes high-stealth hunting clothing, told me, Oregon left us out in the cold. We don't exist. The reasoning comes across as amorphous and quixotic, but the Greater Idaho referendums have passed in eight of ten counties where they've been proposed, making move Oregon's border the most successful secessionist movement in America today. Two more counties will vote in the measure next year, and this month, State Senator Lynn Finley begrudgingly said he'd consider introducing legislation related to the border move. Over the past decade, every state has flirted with a secessionist petition of some sort. Two-thirds of Republicans in the South are in favor of secession. Elsewhere, Illinois' counties are asking to be free of their, uh, of their ties to Chicago, and West Virginia has just offered to take in three conservative-leaning rural Maryland counties. Even this part of Oregon is nestled between areas that some people hope will become entirely new states, the state of Jefferson in California, and the Liberty State, a libertarian utopia pushed by former Representative Matt Shea in Washington. The Greater Idaho Solution appeals in part because of its political pragmatism. Moving a border is hard, but it's easier than creating a new state. And again, I agree with that. I think this is where the, the Move Oregon's Borders people are actually on to something here, because it would be easier to do that than to try to get a new state. That would raise the question of senators. Of course, if you take 870,000 people out of Oregon, Oregon would ostensibly lose one representative. Idaho would gain one. But they would still both only have two senators. So you would have one more right-wing member of Congress, quote-unquote right-wing member of Congress, uh, and one fewer uh, maybe left-wing member of Congress. But I don't know how that would shake out. It may not change the dynamics of Congress a whole lot at all. I mean, this, this could be the point. 
McCarter, the main organizer behind the ballot measures, lives in a mobile home in Lapine, half an hour south of Bend, the eco-chic outdoor destination town in Central Oregon. Eco-chic, I should say. When I visited last month, a sign outside his property advertised his concealed carry permit business and an American flag flew above the door. Jason Mraz played on Sirius uh, Radio from a TV flanked by two paintings of McCarter's Black Labrador, a Bible in a box of milk duds sat on the end table. If the border reflected the lines as McCarter envisions from them, Bend with its cashew milk and Teslas and mandatory masking at craft breweries would be in a different American state from his home. For McCarter, such a severing is common sense, and the map of Greater Idaho carefully carving out Bend doesn't look any more puzzling than a gerrymandered congressional district. The urban-rural divide is so intense that separating the two is the most sensible path forward, he told me. Joining Idaho would keep rural Oregon the way America used to be, McCarter explained. In his narrative, Salem is the villain forcing eastern Oregon counties to comply with laws that seem irrelevant or offensive to their rural setting, rules that have no bearing on their lived reality. Recent redistricting only compounded the sense that representation would never skew in their favor. McCarter feels his supporters' voices are drowned out by urban ones. The culture over the hill, across the Cascades. Portland is in the midst of its most violent year ever, including more than 1,000 shootings so far. Struggling economically and anticipating the full collapse of industries that used to sustain them, McCarter and his group clamor for popular sovereignty. This, that's a really nice quote. They clamor for popular sovereignty. Secession in this particular way. It's just think locally, act locally in a beautiful way. This is the popular will of the people. When Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address that they were fighting uh, for the government of the people, by the people, and for the people, nothing was further from the truth. Nothing was further from the truth. The South was embodying the idea of government of the people, by the people, for the people. Lincoln represented a minority faction of less than 40% of the American population. The government of the people, by the people, and for the people didn't want Lincoln in office. If you put the South and then the conservative North together, Lincoln doesn't even get 60%, doesn't get 40% of the vote. Excuse me, he loses 60% of the vote. Even in 1864, when Lincoln won again, it was only about 54%. So that's 46% of the North in a wartime situation didn't want him as president. 46%, and there's a lot of voter fraud in 1864. Uh, a historian named Jonathan White has done a good job of this, pointing out the military vote, which is fraud. Move Oregon's borders. True proposal is threefold, McCarter told me. First, obviously to move the border. Second, to send a message to the state legislature that you've got some very unhappy people and here are the reasons why. But the third is more subtle. It provides a vent for all this anger, McCarter. Uh, vent for all this anger, period. It provides a vent for all this anger. Again, this is what these movements are all about. It's a safety valve. Decentralization is a way for people to solve political problems without having to resort to shooting. Secession by itself is not a violent act. It's a, it's a peaceful act. It's saying, we're leaving you, just leave me alone. The violence comes when the other side says, you can't leave. That's what I like about this article. It frames the debate in a way of peace. McCarter sees himself as a peaceful guy, proximate to violent movements. When he retired from working in plant nurseries and started running a gun club, members of the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, and the Project Appleseed Pepper Group practiced at his shooting range. Pepper Group. 
People's Rights, the anti-government activist uh, Amon Bundy's new far-right network has asked him to speak at its events. I know there's some people that have talked about if this continues on, people are going to pick up their guns, McCarter said. Rural people, their values, the way they live, their faith, their freedom are closely tied to what Idaho is. So why not just adjust the border? Just let us go peacefully. I think that's the question. Why do we have to frame secession again as this thing of violence? And this is where Richard Kreitner comes in. He says, that is the part that this part of the world would find secession and separatism so compelling makes sense, Richard Kreitner, historian and the author of Break It Up, told me. The idea of separation as a solution to intractable political disputes is part of the history of Oregon. Even at its formation, some were certain that it would eventually fragment or join California. Perhaps we needn't be so... Uh, precious about redrawing borders, Kreitner told me. State lines aren't written in stone, and the Oregon proposal shouldn't be dismissed out of hand, he said. The idea of secession is being normalized in an unwinding and degrading country. This is considered a peace proposal or a way to avoid war. This is exactly right. A peace proposal or a way to avoid war. That's what this is all about. That's what Think Locally, Act Locally is all about. It's about saying, look, we're going to handle our problems right here. We're not saying you don't, you can't do what you want in X state or Y state or a different part of the United States. We're just going to handle it here. And you do exactly what you want there, and we're going to do what we want here. What is the, why are Americans angry? If you go back in my podcast, this is podcast episode 560, uh, 559, excuse me. If you go back through all the episodes I've done, you'll find there's, I've done several of these. Why are Americans angry? I did this all the way back in 2016, I think it was. Why are Americans angry? Well, because we have one-size-fits-all government. And if we didn't have one-size-fits-all government, Americans would not be as angry. And in this particular case, you've got a state government, which is too big, and it would help solve some of these political disputes. Greater Idaho supporters I met often articulated the movement's aims in the same terms McCarter and Kreitner used. This is actually very American, choosing our own government. Gilson, the county captain, told me it was all about choosing our government when we left England in the Revolutionary War. Some proponents of Greater Idaho swiftly offer another American revolution or another civil war as the as a backup plan of moving the border doesn't work out. The aesthetic of armed politics is still ingrained in recent memory in Eastern Oregon. Just five years ago in Harney County, Bundy led a 41-day armed takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge that led to a standoff with the federal government. 85% of people in Harney County carry a concealed weapon. In McCarter and his allies' eyes, they're preserving a vision of the last Amer- version of the last American frontier, land still unfettered by the progressive ideas from cities such as Portland that are seeping into every place in America and threatening rural life. It's a charming myth. The frontier fantasy of armed white men who made the West and can remake it because they are autonomous or independent from political forces back East is something that really probably flies, fires the imagination of a lot of people. The historian Joe Lowndes of the University of Oregon told me, localism, autonomy, and regionalism are entrenched in the literary imagination of Oregon. Take, for example, uh, Don Berry's Trask and Ken Kesey's Sometimes a Great Notion. Greater Idaho is adjacent to the bioregion of Cascadia and the environmental utopia of Ernest Kallenbach's Ecotopia, as well as to the American Redoubt, a supposed haven for survivalists in the sparsely populated lands of Montana, Idaho, and the eastern uh, sides of Washington, Oregon. The last refuge of the American patriot, as a redoubt-centric real estate company described it. Oregon was itself founded in 
dispossession. Its constitution banned free black people from living in the state. It's difficult to disentangle the non-threatening parts of this group from the threatening white supremacist aspects because the region gained a reputation as a safe home for these ideas. Stephen Betta, a historian of the University of Oregon, told me. So you got two university, but let me, let me stop here. Two University of Oregon professors saying, well, it's all about white supremacy. This is where the Atlantic goes off the rails. It's all about white, uh, fan, uh, white supremacy, and it's a fantasy of the white person that they're out there framing the West. That didn't really happen. None of that really happened. This is why the universities are so problematic. It's about articulating a rural identity, a return to a rural past, and real ruralness is frequently used as a synonym for whiteness. Nostalgia is often rooted in white supremacist ideas. We're all better off before people of color started demanding rights. No, that's not what these people are talking about. What they're talking about here is being ruled by people that don't have the same values or same ideas on government and other things as they have. It's not about rights. They're framing it as rights. What does a mask mandate have to do with people living in rural Oregon where they don't see anybody? I mean, but this is what would happen. So why even pass that to begin with? Why not just have their own government? I mean, this, this is the point. Most supporters I spoke with skewed toward retirement age. They diligently collected signatures at farmers markets and gun shows and chatted in small groups at thinly attended meetups and church basements the thinly attended, peddling a far-fetched cause among their neighbors. But McCarter mentioned to me in passing that some supporters are going to Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Oh no, if they went to Washington, D.C. on January 6th, that makes them just horrible people. Conservative-leaning separatist movement isn't uh, definitionally exclusionary or violent, but movements like Greater Idaho can't be entirely decoupled from the context of menacing and violent right-wing organizing in the region. The Patriot Movement, a set of anti-government conspiracist militias, remains active today. And Timber Unity, a rural solidarity group with extremist connections, gives money and support to county commissioner candidates, including many who go on to win. <gasps> oh, no. Oh no, they're donating to local candidates. How terrible. Much of Oregon's history was driven by an understanding of violence as a commonplace method of solving problems, Kittredge, the rancher uh, memorist, wrote. The greater Idaho movement's more avid supporters say Darrell's idea is the only thing keeping them from an insurrection. A flashpoint is coming, Gilson told me. People are ready to fight. I'm hoping that it will be a push for move Oregon's border, that it won't be violent. Moving the borders is a civil answer. Eastern Oregon is known for its guns. The weekend before Harney County voted on the referendum, McCarter held a rally at a sporting goods store in Hines. He called to warn me not to expect a huge crowd. Midday on Saturday, he set up a round table with black rifle coffee and a neatly arranged array of move Oregon's borders hats and leaflets. He stood smiling in the empty shop with a pistol in his hip, surrounded by rifles and fishing gear. Portland this year looks like when I rolled into Baghdad for the first time, Dean uh, Brizendine, a former cop who owns a shop, told me from behind the gun counter. Tony Foster, Move Oregon's Borders, Harney County captain, made snickerdoodles and drove over from the auto wrecking yard in town where her repair shop and mobile home sit amid rows of half-scrapped classic cars and trucks. Her husband, Gary, a former heavy machinery operator, stood in the corner scrolling on his phone. They just overrun us on the other side of the mountain, he said. Now think about these people. They're all blue-collar, living mobile homes. I mean, how they're being described. These are the people that the left supposedly favors, right? 
wor rural working class, got a machine operator. They have a, you know, the uh, guns to small business. I mean, this is what they have, but these people are bad. They're extremists. The first visitor to arrive was a woman wearing a shirt that said, Be More American, who came to yell at McCarter with her daughter and granddaughter in tow. Idaho doesn't want us. I moved out of Idaho for a reason, she shouted, standing over the table. Her son had seizures and needs medical marijuana, which is legal in Oregon, but not Idaho. Marijuana came up nearly as often as diesel fuel in my conversations about the border move. I'll still vote for it, though, because of the value, she said. She shook McCarter's hand and went to buy a gun at the register. A few others filtered in and out and over the next hour to either purchase a firearm or approach the table and ask about Greater Idaho. Nancy Cronin had driven down Highway 395 from where she lives on a ranch, retired and off the grid to find out more about the movement and whether she would end up becoming a resident of Idaho. McCarter stood and talked with her. She said she was undecided. There's no death tax in Idaho, McCarter said. That's a plus, she responded. And Idaho has a balanced budget, he said, another plus. She asked whether Idaho would accept her daughter's beautician license. McCarter told her those are the sorts of questions they still have to work out. Is this going to happen in our lifetime, Cronin asked. Texas has been dealing with this for 20 years. I'm 70. Look, McCarter said, it's a vent instead of people picking up their guns. If it gives people a place to put our energy or frustration, I'm for it, she said. Cronin turned to me, and people are getting close, she said. Anarchy, not just in Oregon. What happened down on the refuge at Mallory is a symptom of it. It's a passion of the people who live in rural Oregon, and this is an avenue for folks instead of doing something illegal that would get you where you want, she, she leaned on the counter. It's not perfect, McCarter said, and it may morph into something else. We just need to show the Oregon legislature that it's possible, Cronin said. They haven't listened for 20 years, McCarter responded. We have to reinstitute, reinstitute the Founding Fathers' fire because we're back there again, Cronin told me, and this seems like a place to take intellectual ideas instead of a violent way. It would finally feel like we have some control and stake. She left with one of McCarter's pamphlets featuring the map of Greater Idaho. Now again, let me stop there. Think about what all these people are saying. This is a peaceful way to solve a political problem. These are just all blue-collar people, don't, don't have a lot. They just want to have a way to feel like they can govern themselves and not be governed by an alien people. This is where this comes down to. This is what decentralization is all about. It's what thinking locally and acting locally is all about. I applaud all these people. They're doing something constructive with this. Plenty of rural Oregonians balk at the suggestion of becoming Idahoans. I spoke with many who see themselves as the less vocal majority, and some who'd never even heard of the measure. We would only lose by becoming part of Idaho, Isabel Fleurad, a yoga teacher who helped establish the Harney County Democrats during the Bundy standoff, told me. It's like a John Wayne movie, that imaginary ideal past of Harney County. She told me she was exhausted by greater Idaho supporters, tendency to blame faraway Democratic overlords, Oregon Governor Kate Brown in Salem and the federal government in D.C. for all the region's ills. So think about who this person is. Isabel Florend, who has a yoga teacher who is the chair of the Young Democrats in uh, Harney County or Democrats in Harney County. Of course she's not going to support it. So what? She's in the minority there. She's saying she's in the majority, but maybe they are. I mean, the people may not support this thing right now, but maybe she's not. Maybe she needs to move to Salem. I mean, she could do that. Um... But think about, uh, she said, we can only lose. How? How are they going to lose? How? They're, they're, that question is never, it's just left out in the air. How would they lose? Joining Idaho is a mind-boggling, oversimplified notion, Steve Grasty, a retired Harney County judge, told me. Counties such as Harney are hugely dependent on federal funding. 
Oregon's 2nd Congressional District, which covers the entire eastern swath of the state, was the nation's biggest recipient of Affordable Care Act funds. But even Grassy, who used to travel to Salem to advocate for the county, admitted that the legislature there doesn't seem interested in the stories and problems he brought from rural Oregon. Over and over, I worked to put that rural perspective into focus, and it really didn't get heard. He could have changed parties, but stayed a Democrat just so people on the west side of the state would talk to him, he told me. So, that would not change. This is the thing. Well, what wouldn't change? Just because you're in Oregon wouldn't mean your federal funds would change, right? That will all still stay with the counties. I mean, the Affordable Care Act wouldn't change. It's not like you're leaving the United States. This is this is the weird part of this article. So the fact that you're just joining another state doesn't mean any of that would change. The border move might seem preposterous, a peaceful rebellion fantasized about by a handful of people sitting around a sporting goods store eating cookies and practicing amateur cartography. But some are bluntly resigned to another conclusion. One of my last stops in Harney County was to visit uh, Ben Holloway, the owner of Spent Cartridge, a local gun shop. He thinks the border question will probably boil more down to a revolution rather than even worrying about moving this and that, he told me. It would just be right out to war, a civil war or splitting her up. He went on, and that's the rise and fall of every civilization in history. The United States has been at the top for a long time, where where Rome was when Rome was at its peak, and eventually everything comes crumbling down. It'll be pretty much like, just like the Civil War back when, North versus South. It might be more East versus West, Urban versus Rural. It will be absolutely horrible and terrifying and frightening. A lot of people dying for no reason. But eventually they're going to push a group far enough, and they'll have no other recourse in their mind. Well, I mean... Why? You have to ask Ben Holloway, why? Why would that happen if you had decentralization? Ben Holloway is of a Lincolnian mindset. He's of a Lincolnian mindset. A peaceful rebellion. Why can't it be peaceful? Why can't it be by a handful of people who drive things, right? I mean, this is the way we always think about political movements. There's only a handful of people driving things anywhere active, energetic people that want something to happen, they get more done. Most people don't want to do that stuff. So this is where people get things done. It usually don't have mass movements of a lot of people. She said, I asked Holloway how it would feel the border move somehow shook out if at the end of, the, of a prolonged political process, he and I could factually say we were standing in Idaho, not Oregon, that afternoon. He said, I don't think it would hardly change a thing, to be honest with you. Well, why not? Uh, Again, wraps up with a negative Nancy. Someone who doesn't have any positive things to say. Uh, the violent guy. It's all going to be violent. You got the violence thrown in here because the Atlantic can't produce a fully supportive piece on this particular movement. But it, it can kind of say, well, you got Richard Kreitner saying this could happen. So you got some lefties that might be for it. But you got this lefty who runs a yoga studio that's not for it. And you got this judge saying, well, I mean, oh, this is just isn't going to happen. But on the other hand, these people over there aren't really listening to us. So what do we do? I applaud all of these people for actually taking something and doing something about it and saying, this is what we need to do. This is where it's got to work. This is what we have to do. Educating people in a peaceful way to solve their political problems. It's fantastic. And so when I saw this piece, I just had to talk about it. Uh, on this show because Think Locally, Act Locally is is what this show, the core of it, along with bashing the Straussian neocons, which, I mean, look, um, 
there's going to be a lot of those people, okay? But the fact is, this idea of decentralization, independence, is ingrained in the American character. And there's no nothing out there that says a state has to be this, this, and this, or the United States has to be this, this, and this. That's all up for political discussion. And why don't we have states reflect political culture? Why don't we have states reflect the people that are in them? That's a good question. The sovereign people, the sovereign states. So anyways, I thought this was great. And I wanted to bring it to you. And I hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.